all the things I've learned about the art of communication. I've did it after graduating because I realized that um, as a graphic designer, I was asked to build uh, campaigns, things like that. For and I, I realized that I hadn't all the skills for this because. Yeah, I can do. I I was able to do a great image, a great things, and it was perfect. But I hadn't at this time the the idea behind what I want people to feel, how they will use this, and what's the relation with the, the brand. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Insider Podcast. Today's guest is a French architect and graphic designer, Natalie Cara. She is the founder of the Akaya Agency, uh, an agency specialized in communication for real estate. Uh, because of her expertise, she is educated as an architect and graphic designer, marketing expert. So this is the perfect combination for this agency. Uh, during this conversation, we talked through her story, how she moved from Paris to the French Alps and where she's now living as a solopreneur and how she's pushing forward her business and how she started the business, gathered the skills and so on and so on. So I suggest you to stay on the whole podcast so that you can hear the inspiring story of Natalie. And also I'll leave you below all the link to her, how to get in touch with her. And also she has an interesting questionnaire for architects. So make sure to check the description of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And before we start, I wanted to remind you that you could have watched this episode live and ask your own questions to the guest by just joining the real insiders, the cool people that are part of the Patreon community. It's just five bucks a month. It's a very little economical help, but a very big help for the podcast and the existence of the podcast. So if you like the Creative Insider, if you enjoy the company of the Creative Insider during, I don't know, your sports or while you're cooking, or while you're working, or in any part of your life. And if you want to also join a very cool community, make sure to join the Patreon page. Thank you very much, and enjoy the podcast with Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Welcome on the Creative Insider Podcast. Hello, Georgie. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really happy to hear, to be here with you. Thank you very much. Uh, we met online on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, somehow we are connected since a while. And then uh, you are starting your own podcast. I guess there are a couple of episodes recorded, but uh, it's not live yet. So I did one episode and uh, I think what you're doing is very interesting. So I decided that it might be interesting to reverse the the spots and you are on my podcast so that we can learn more about your story because you have an interesting story yourself so if you want you can uh, introduce yourself briefly who you are and what you do and how you got where you are now okay thank you for the presentation yes we met on linkedin and i'm editing the podcast so it will be released soon um i'm natalie i'm former architect uh, in France and now I'm graphic designer and what I find interesting is the shifting between architecture and graphic design and today I'm mainly um, engaged to help the architects to develop their communication and to fill the gap between them and the public. Yeah, it's a very interesting transition. A lot of people do 
this sort of transition, but um, I want to always start from the beginning. So I'm curious, what was for you personally the reason in first place to become to study architecture and try to get that career and go into that uh, field? Oh, it, it came from when I was a child because I never asked for dolls or things like that. Just things to build and to and and do and do again. So this is this is a part of me. So it was really natural for me to go on this direction. And uh, where, where, where did you get your education? So you're from France. Which part of France are you from and where did you study? I, I know a lot of people from uh, southern France uh, and uh, eastern France. Uh, and uh, I have to say I have uh, a very positive experience with people from Montpellier. They're very funny guys. So what is your, where you're located? Where did you study? The spirit of the South is really great for this. It's really easy to make connections with people. Uh, I'm I'm originated from southeast of France, so I think it's not Montpellier, but <laughs> not far from it, regarding to the map. And I I study my um, my high school diploma there, but after uh, I graduated in space design in in Paris and. I was really, really young. I was turning to my 80s and I made all my career there yeah. instead, just instead now. <laughs> and and now where you are after, now you're based uh, somewhere else, if I'm not wrong. Yes, um, I've moved two years ago in southeast France again, but the mountain part. So I'm currently living in a ski resort, but all time. That sounds like a fun decision to make. How was to move um, as a young person from the Provence to Paris? Because I know that um, I come from Bulgaria, where this topic, the capital versus the rest of the country is very strong. And uh, through my French friends and through my personal culture that I know about friends. I know that in France there is this very strong feeling too. And it, sometimes it must be hard for someone from outside of the capital to move in there. What was your experience? Did you have any cultural shock or any problems or what was your experience? Not really because my city, my my home uh, where my parents live, it's more like a vill small village, you know. So to to graduate in applied arts, I had to move on the biggest city nearby. And then I went to Paris. So for me, it was just a great decision. And it was really, really fun because there is a lot of museum, a lot of activities, a lot of people. And I could finally meet um, other cultures, other languages. So for me, it was just excited, but it it never it it was never a problem. In the contrary. No, oh, so it was a, an exciting uh, move to go to the bigger city. And you mentioned you study spatial design. Is that architecture, or is that some um, subordinate uh, faculty to architecture, or is it something specialized in a specific field? Yeah, uh, in fact. Um, since the beginning, I always chose the the more artistic way to graduate. So 
for my high school diploma, it was applied art. I had design. I had, um, I don't know, sketches, drawing a lot, um, um, object design, graphic design, everything like this. And I didn't go just through the architecture part. And I, I, I graduated in space design and space design first is more um, an open way to work in the space. You have landscapes, landscape architecture, you have uh, small space design, interior design. It's more open. Um, we are not so focused on the structure, but, but really much more on the concept. And this is after that I decided to to go through the architecture core and have a master's degree on it. Uh, so the master, your master, your bachelor was in this space design, spatial design, and then you moved to a master degree that was more traditional architecture master degree. That's true. That's correct. Also in Paris, everything in Paris. Uh, yeah, um, the, 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 the master's degree, it's, it's small town next Paris. Uh, it's named Versailles. Maybe you know it. Yeah, we know <laughs> so, that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and the, the, the school is really, really great because we are studying in old buildings just next to the, to the castle. So it was beautiful place to, to work and to study. Yeah. Versailles is cool. For everybody uh, know that, that it's cool. And for the Americans, go Google it. So you know what it is. <laughs> it's just a joke. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, I, I had some friends that went to have an Erasmus experience there. And once you graduated from school, what was your first uh, professional career in France? Did you start working in a traditional architecture office or... What was your first uh, professional experience? Um, at least my first professional experience started four years ago because I had to work during during my studies. So the the first experience was with another field. It, it was more uh, communication fields. Um, um, I worked for a survey survey agency. Um, I had to watch TVs and hear radios and make resumes. So it, it was the, the best job for, for the students. And this helped me to to enter in the active life because architectures need you to be really um, autonomous and take care of yourself and being able to do the things really rapidly and being so... After that, I find my first job in a small agency and I stayed there almost two years. So it was a great beginning, the small agency for me in order to, you know, to, to see all the things work, but um, having the space and the time to ask people and to learn and train. I see. And uh, why didn't you go for... A job that was uh, because you mentioned because the architecture offices are not so flexible in France to accept you as an intern while you're studying. Um, this this thing didn't came in my mind because I started uh, my 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 work. Um, I uh, the the fact is it was 
easiest for me to find that other kind of job because I had to work on the weekend or during holidays. So that's, that didn't enter in conflict with my study. And it was really important for me to, to stay focused on on the school and the thing I studied. So I didn't want to, to shift um, half a day with something um, and the rest of the time learning. And I don't know how is it in other countries, but in France, um, you can choose some of the thing you are studying, but um, it's not really flexible. Um, so I couldn't miss a lot. For me, it was important to to find the right time. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's similar to Italy. Italy also you kind of pick some of the things but most of the things they just assign them to you and then you have to be also there some uh, also for some classes you have to sign in every time and you cannot uh, be away for uh, many hours so sometimes there is this signature mafia where people sign in for you because you cannot go <laughs> but uh, yeah that's an Italian thing and what was uh, your I, I've been I've seen this on my on my school too but only because in the end nobody was in the course <laughs> so it, it was a problem it, it, for me it wasn't an, the obligation thing it was that there are so deep question for me I needed to be there to really understand and practice and it, it was more related to to my way uh, of learning architecture maybe other people could do different but we were not um, too many people to work in the same time because it's it's a hard pace <laughs> to follow yeah I can imagine and and what was your first architectural experience? Because you said that was just four years ago. What was your first experience in an architecture office? You mean as a job or internship? Whatever, like just what you've done, what how you started. The the this this first one was for uh, a teacher. Actually, I worked with him uh, a few months uh, and. He had a really tiny agency and I have the responsibility of a whole project, you know, uh, taking the measurements on the building and build the sketches and make him some different proposal and building the final document. So it was really exciting and really, really rich because I learned a lot and we had the time to or discuss and explain me some, you know, all the the thing, the low things is really heavy in architecture. So having the opportunity to learn step by step was really really good, great. And that was a real job or an internship? Um, at, it was um, a new thing the school established. It was um, we had. The, the school um, developed an association and through the association you could work with architects but you were not internship in internship but you were not uh, a full employee it, it, it was a middle situation but you had some money for this so it was halfway <laughs> it was some hybrid um <clears throat> Sorry, hybrid French thing uh, that uh, was... Yeah, uh, totally. 
And and after that, did you have some uh, like empl employed experience in other in other offices, or you kept working with this professor of yours? No, uh, I had another experience, but it it was really really wasn't really long, and after it, it was the job. So no, no, I didn't work a lot in architecture. Uh, as a student, I was just... no, but I mean, like not as a student, like professionally. Did you? Oh yes, uh, oh that? yes, yes. Um, I had these two years of experience in the uh, in this small agency. Um, this is where I had the the greatest project for me, and it was my best years. And after that, they didn't need other people because they had certain kind of projects when you have a lot of work and then you don't have and then you had a lot of work and it was the opportunity for me to discover new spaces and I decided to work in a temporary work. I, I, I believe this is how we say that, you know, uh, when you work with a company and she, pus she, pus she pushes you into for uh, other companies who need people for a certain amount of time. So, um, oh, okay. Um, That's an interesting format. I didn't know. So you basically work for uh, several companies that whoever needs support. Yeah. So it was great for me because I could see very, very fast, a lot of different uh, organizations and different kinds of projects. So, and meet a lot of people. So when you're young, uh, I love this. So I could, I was be able to work on offices, on hostels and a lot of things like that. So this was great. But did you work for a company that it does like an agency that, uh, exclusively lends you to other people or you were hired by one of the offices and when they didn't have enough work they lend you to other offices no no it, it was really temporary work or uh, I, I signed a contract with the company and she sent me she told me oh we, we have work on this or we have work on this okay that uh, sounds interesting and that was like you did that part-time and then partly you did something else or it was full-time at some other project no it, it was uh it was full-time always okay and what was the you said it was fun for you to discover all these uh different approaches i can imagine that because just by simply changing your work you learn new things new approaches new workflows new softwares everything possible um what was the negative side of it that maybe because you shifted now, you're not anymore involved as an architect, you're not working anymore as an architect. Uh, what was the aspect of the job or the reality that you noticed that this thing wasn't for you on long term? Um, I couldn't find the, the idea. There were several things. Um, deep in, inside me, I couldn't find the ideal uh, environment for me to thrive on a company but this is life maybe it, it would happen if I stayed longer but there were also other questions because I work with a lot of long-term projects and the 
the first job I had, the most excited was it was on the I was on the construction site a lot of the time. So I loved this exit stage and work with different people at this at this moment. But this project was started seven years ago. Um, so the the long term of lot of project was really frustrating for me. So I decided to make a choice and see if I could find another way of working in architecture that would suit me best on this uh, on this aspect. And these um, temporary jobs that you had in this project, they were also in Paris or you were already back in the southern part of France? No, no, I, I stayed in Paris. Uh, I stayed 13 years in Paris, actually. <laughs> okay, so you stayed uh, quite a long period of time there. And um, yeah, I can imagine that this is something uh, very frustrating that um, I work as an architect now seven years, uh, two of which I was part-time because I was finishing my thesis, but still already in the real job. And um, for me, the first time it was very shocking is... Uh, in Germany, we uh, sometimes print out and put somewhere on the wall the time schedule of the project, the time plan, to see what was needs to be done until when. And usually this spans in the next year and a half. And I always say it's so sad that you can see your future printed on. Like how you're going to lose your next two years? <laughs> how you're going to spend them on, on this project? And that's a little frustrating in architecture, as you said, because it's not so dynamic. It's not so, uh, yeah, it's not as any other job. You have to stay on the thing for a longer time. It's like running a marathon. But once you're done, it's very satisfying. But I can imagine that it's not for, for everyone. Sometimes it's not for... Even for the people that do it, <laughs> it's not so fun. Sure, sometimes, but I had to try and to see if it if it fits for me. But you know, in, in the first company, people were working for urban planning, what the most longest project I've ever seen, and it changed a lot. And there, so for me, it wasn't really adapted to my deep personality but i i i would have been happy if uh, if the long term project didn't bother me but it was it <laughs> deep inside me it, it was scratching me over here. so i i want to to see other things i want to go further but well yes it, it was it was finally a problem yes <laughs> But uh, I'm curious also a part of this. Um, I have experience with Italy and Germany. What is the work environment in a French office? Um, is the hierarchy quite vertical or is it quite horizontal? Uh, are generally, I know that it changes and you cannot be super happy with everyone, but are generally people friendly or they, are they competitive? Uh, because I think here in Germany, in the most successful offices that I've uh, worked at the hierarchy is very horizontal and they try to have a lot of communication and to put you in your best position to perform at your best uh, and there is not really the feeling that the boss comes and say I'm the boss I know everything better uh, on the contrary in Italy it's exactly like that like the boss comes and says I am the boss so you shut up and you do what I tell you and I've never worked there this is from things that I've heard 
and there are uh, a lot of Instagram pages that uh, have screenshots of emails and stories of horror stories from the offices. So what is in France? Uh, where, where did you hear about France? <laughs> I haven't heard anything. That's why I'm asking you. I don't know. Your, your friends never told you about this. <laughs> no, they were friends while we were st uh, studying. So I don't really know. Uh, How I don't is know, it? I, haven't, I, I know the only one person that I know uh, working there. We didn't talk about it, but he, after years or so, turned into an uh, architectural visu visualizer. He started doing visualizations. So he, he, I don't know, he didn't, we didn't talk about that. Okay. So you're the first, I, uh, we don't have so many French people on the podcast also. So you're the first one and you're out of it. So you can speak more openly. <laughs> sure. But I, I would have speak openly anyway. It's just that I can only speak with my exper through my experiences. So I, I can't really say that it's, it's the reference, but It's a reality, a part of a reality. And at this time, because I, I stopped working in architecture five years ago, so this is this is the the timeline. And what I perceive is very, very highly vertical. <laughs> so really difficult to to make things change or to suggest some improvements or because things are working like this until now so why do you want to change everything <laughs> so you have to um, work hard and to make from my from my perception and to make them understand that your point of view of view can be valuable and can be understood and heard but uh, for me it wasn't Yes, it wasn't the open-minded people I would like to meet, um, especially when you're young and go, go out from school. But uh, it was it was the game, so <laughs> I played it. So it it's more similar, like to the Italian. I think Italian culture and French culture are more similar, despite France and Germany are actually geographically closer <laughs> than than Italy and, and France. And um, uh, how about the economical side of things? Because another horror story from Italy is that you get paid crap because um, they basically hire you as a freelancer. It's called like fake freelancer because they actually hire you with conditions that are like you're employed. So you have to show up every day at work, but you get like to give them uh, bills and they pay, pay you as a freelancer yearly so what is the deal at least in that sense in france is it okay i mean no countries that i know you work as an architect and you become rich that you can really spend your money but if it was okay to i don't know live okay in paris or in france in general uh, actually i have two sides to share with you because I have the architect's point of view, former architect's point of view, but I also worked uh, during a few months in the insurance part. So in France, we have mainly one big uh, insurance company for, say, 90% of the architects. So I had a great overview of how, for, for whom it works and for whom it's difficult. And from the inside 
point of view, when I was architect, I always had contract and everything was clear. So this is the good point, but I've never made, uh, I've never had a lot of money. And when this, I I felt that they were start, they were trying to pay you the lowest amount possible and acceptable. <laughs> and regarding the the numbers of um, the um, the level of study and the numbers of years of experience, I if I wanted to make a lot of money from the beginning, I should be an engineer. So. You'd better be an engineer in France than an architect. But I don't stay enough longer to say more about this. But what I've heard from my colleague that are still in architecture, if you 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 have the hard part for four or five years, and then if you stay in the company, you can go higher and go have money and go have some um some responsibilities so but there is some desert period time uh, you have to endure and then it's it will be better maybe it's a way for the field to to sort the people and to keep the the most strongest one or the most f- fitable for for the system i i don't know i i don't have the answer and from the insurance part um there is a huge amount of huge numbers of architects who are barely able to pay the bills and they are most um solopreneur architects and this is the the saddest side of of the of the architecture part because we we don't talk a lot about them and they are struggling uh, but they are doing a great job but it's really difficult to make money in architecture i believe when you're alone and you have no connections in france i mean that's everywhere but you were working as a in the insurance company that insured architects right yes for a few months and uh, your salary there compared to if you were working in an architecture office was it way different in a positive way <laughs> no it was lower but it, it was a, a small job just to help them uh, during the declaration period because they had a lot of numbers and questions to deal with so it it, it was really interesting for me to to have this eye on this because we don't know we don't really know how does this work but some people are making money but a lot of them are really struggling yeah, I can imagine that it's uh, a real problem, and uh, I've discussed this with uh, many people. Actually, uh, on the last podcast before this one, we had this British architect Claire Nash, and she has written this book about work-life balance and in architecture in particular. And she has reached that work-life balance by starting her own office. And she said that one of the biggest mistakes she has made at the beginning was to not um, charge enough. So maybe also one problem with this um, this situation you mentioned is that uh, young architects also not are not able to do business and to charge what they actually should charge. So this might be also sure, a part and, of and it. also 
also think that they will have to pay taxes and insurance, but not not from day one, but one year in, in one year. And some of them, the, the year passed and they are saying, oh, but I had to pay all this amount of money, but I don't have it anymore. So <laughs> maybe it's a business question. I, I don't know, but it's a it's part of the reality. Yeah, that's a thing that I think people should read a little bit about business before going solo or starting their own office. Um, and uh, okay, so you have this uh, few years of experience in the architecture field. You have seen different things, some things you liked, some things you didn't like. In the end, you decide you don't like it that much uh, and you wanted to shift. To, to turn into something different. So what was, first of all, how did you go for it? Like, did you decide now it's cold turkey, I'm just quitting my job and trying something else? Or was it a slow transition that you had some idea in your mind what you're going to do and then you figure out that the market was there for it and then after getting a couple of clients, you said, okay, now I'm going to go for it and leave this job. Mm -hmm. It was... Uh long-term decision and in between when I was um, in temporary work I also um, uh, started my company and, and tried to make freelance job because I, 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 I was saying myself maybe being working for somebody wasn't my type but if I build my company may, maybe I will enjoy it more but this wasn't fulfilling for me working with um, directly with the public. Uh, actually, uh, I did some small project about renovation houses, and I love renovation and I love the the housing questions. But dealing with uh, this kind of public was really challenging for me, and maybe I, I wasn't ready enough for for this. So um, I still work in tempor with, in tempor with temporary contracts, but slowly uh, I, I remembered what was um, exciting me when I was younger and what I loved when I was in, at school. And maybe the, the idea of something less con with less constraints and more um, creativity and possibility could be better for me so it took me time and I remember that when I was on these agencies people always asked me to make the the the, the pitches presentation or thing like that so I remember I had some skill and maybe I could do something with it so I tried to to make peace with the architecture at the time because for me, it was a it was a failure, you know, to make to take all this time studying architecture, graduating, working in this, and just finally find choosing another path. But I realized it wasn't a failure; it was just a step for me to to go where I am now. And maybe I needed this. And. Um... What was like the things that, so you, how did you, how did you figure it out to become a graphic designer? Because if I was like, um, like, did you decided to try it on yourself or did you apply to then offices that were graphic design studios? Um, 
yeah, did you have some mix of knowledge that you have gathered from architecture, from the communication jobs you did, from the insurance jobs that you did? Uh, what was the what were the ingredients of the recipe to make this happen? Uh, actually, it was um, graduate a new degree, but in graphic design because for me uh, there was a big difference in believing that you know how to communicate and being able to do it right <laughs> actually so i go back to school during my my job so i i chose um, a special way of doing things you are learning uh, at night and you know it, it's online courses and you just have to go um to to the building at the end of the year to pass your diploma with other people like normal people but I just study at at home so it took me two and a half years and when I had my diploma I just tried to find something in between because I didn't want to to be in something too much different so during my study I work in a great great um, um, communication agency they they made 3D, they make animations, and it was really, really great. But I wanted to keep a link with um, the core things with it, architect, which is architecture in me. So I found my first job in my first real job in graphic design was for an international um, real estate company, and I was I in, integrated the team of the marketing, and I started to work there during four to five years. So it was the perfect job for me because we were dealing with buildings. I had to make pitches. I did I did already know how you read a, a, a master plan because a lot of people don't. They just make colors on this, but there is, um, there is a sense on everything. So for me, it was a, a good strength to 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 be an architect and to work for this kind of people, even if real estate can be the evil for the architects. <laughs> mm, no, not at all. Like the real estate is our client. It's just uh, we work for 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 those people. I I don't see them as the evil in the in the room. It's just uh, our client and uh, numbers. And you know exactly this is the point that architects need someone that tells them always that the numbers need to fit in the end, you know, uh, because you cannot do uh, these things. Um, but um, so you, you, it sounds great, you know, like because I've been talking a lot about this podcast that you can create something better by putting together ingredients that were weren't together before, right? So you you have this architecture knowledge that uh, usually you would apply only as an architect but if you combine it with communication graphic design and marketing then suddenly you're way more valuable for a real estate company uh, and with these double skills i can imagine it was really hard to work and study in the evening for two years uh, so i guess your life was affected by it and that's something also that people have to endure but it is what it is and um I'm curious if then moving to the real estate, then uh, looking on the economical side of the things, it was then better than being an architect. I don't know. You know, 
today architecture building and real estate this is not the best moments they are going through because a lot of investors are, are waiting to see if, if it's a perfect moment to invest and the the owners don't want to sell with losses so they are waiting so this um today real estate it, it, it's not the the golden age <laughs> but um but back in your in, in your days was it good was it not good um it was slowly going down but more slowly than today and it wasn't really important for me because i was I had a contract with them. I work with them. So it's less difficult when you are inside the company than working for the company because you have to, now I have to find my clients and I, I, nobody gives me work just like that. So <laughs> this is the main change when you're, when you are creating your, your own business, you have to learn how to find your new clients and how to sign it. So this is the big change, but they, they've, I, I learn a lot with them because, you know, when you are, I, I was mainly working with the parts that is involved on selling buildings. So the kind of people I was uh, connected to is really, really different from the kind of people I, I was in school or in architecture, but they have the the business in mind and the numbers is in mind. So it was really, really interesting for me to be uh, uh, in the contact of this person. So uh, thanks to them. Um, if I'm here now, it's because I was with them before. <laughs> no, of course. But what I was men meaning is that, for example, here in Germany, I also I know a lot of people that studied architecture and then ended up working for a developer because a developer needs architects because you need someone that um, defends your position in front of the architect, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't know what you want. You wouldn't know. So basically they work as a client because people might not know this, but in architecture, the client has job to do. Uh, it's not that you have to know what you want. You have to understand what uh, wanting something means. Um, and like if we take like uh, an architect's salary, and then you move the same person with the same experience on the developer side. You take the salary and make per twice at least. <laughs> and then this is what you get. And that's why a lot of people go to work for, for developers. So I was curious also because you have invested time into studying architecture. Then you have invested time and a lot of I may, I guess, uh, emotional pain to study and work uh, uh, same time graphic design. Was it then at least the salary rewarding for these couple of years where, when you were there? Yeah, but I, I really understand this. But getting older, <laughs> if I may say it, I understood that maybe the world is not fair. So it, at some points we have we have choices to make and some people made this choice because they need money. They have other projects and, and sometimes they, they may, may choose the in between. I will work with the, with the promoters for a few years and then I will go back to other things. 
it's just really sad that you can't have the equal salary for your work and and your investments but i believe this is our society now so we have to adapt <laughs> well i would say that uh i don't know maybe here in germany we're very well uh what is it called um yeah we're a little um like very well used to it because i think in germany it's like i can compare it only to italy and you cannot really complain much about it because the salary it's really like compared to the world worldwide situation really comfortable like it's you're not rich but it's comfortable you like to feel okay i i it's worth it um so yeah it's not not cool to to hear but that's why i'm asking because people have to know that i don't know maybe sometimes you have to do something just because you want to do it and don't not look back at the um, economical reward and um actually uh a day ago and something i i listened to this podcast which has nothing to do with architecture with um paolo maldini who is a very famous uh football player in the italian history and he's now the manager like boss really manager like of the uh, ac milan football club and he's a legend there and he was explaining that a lot of player left the club for money and he didn't do it uh but he came from a family that was quite rich so he understands that not everybody comes from the same uh place so he said he didn't judge players who left for economical reward and i thought it's very true also in every industry that sometimes you know you have different character you have different uh so it you have to always there is no universal solution for everything you have to do what uh what suits you um but besides that i'm very curious also you studied both architecture and graphic design some architects says that uh until you don't build uh buildings you're just a graphic designer as an architect <laughs> uh what were some skills that you learned in this um in this school i mean probably a lot but some, what was kind of easier for you to learn because you were an architect i guess some proportion some sense of colors was maybe easier i don't know and if there was something really about about communication that it was eye opening for you or some skill that you learned and that you were like okay this is a game changer first to have a new degree in um, graphic design was more easy for me because i've done a lot of the required things so i just have the graphic design part to to go deep and about the architecture what what fuels me the best what what is very useful is the ability to see on space to see things in your head and before without uh, needing always drawing you know you can you can see different variation of a thing in 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 3D in your head and just decided that this the third one is great and you don't need to make all the iteration with the drawing so you can save a lot of your time and go deep on other details the skill of um drawing because in architecture and all the art study background i i draw a lot so it's really easy for me to 
to make my ideas clear for the clients or really, really close to what's in my head. And the structure uh, the architecture gave me is really important. You know, I've seen a lot of people with really messy files in the, in, in their um, in their computer, and you know the, all the process of uh, leading a project. It's really really precise in architecture and really really strings. And this is really really good if you want to iterate and if you have. I don't have a long term project as architecture, but. If it's a few month project with different peoples that working with me, it's really important to be organized and to be able to to store everything on the right place and giving a name because I've never had a, a project with files name final dot two dot three dot four maybe final but we don't know so things like that I don't have and this is something you don't learn at school but this is highly valuable when you are on your own you know being able to work fast and efficient and the working in, in different agencies helped me a lot to learn how to work with clients and different people because we are dealing with much important matters than just the color of uh of something so <laughs> you are you are really um talking about a life of people you know when i was an architect uh, i remember uh, one night i just woke up and asked myself oh did i did i made the right count for the fire escape and just okay it's okay i <laughs> i can go back to sleep this never happened that happens now <laughs> but um the importance of the details I've, I've learned in architecture helped me a lot with the design because the kind of design I, I provide now is, is really, for me, high qualitative. I, I, want, I don't want to let the details everywhere. So I like the thing clear and chosen and strong. And this, these are, for me, typical from the architecture side. No, yeah, totally. I can relate to the fire escape stairs situation. <laughs> <laughs> or every time before a presentation with the clients, I would tell all the other members, check the numbers in the presentation. <laughs> uh, maybe I've missed something, so it happens a lot. And and every mistake means a lot of money, a lot of, uh, I don't know, sometimes lawyers involved. So I can imagine that that's something nice not to have in your daily life. And um, how about you learned a lot about design, of course, and this, as I said, I imagine that some things were helpful for, for you from architecture. Um, did they teach you something about communication itself, like how people react to a certain communication, uh, how to, I don't know, if it's only purely graphic design or if it's also how to, you know, how people respond emotionally to different messages um, because, um, I mean, at the end of the day, if a building is used to leave or work or whatever you're using it for, graphic design needs to catch your attention in a certain way, gives you a certain feeling. Uh, it's sort of a controlled, controlled art, I would call it. Like it's more like oriented art on achieving a 
an objective? I wouldn't say oriented, but I see what you want to mean. Because in architecture, when you are choosing um, a certain type of materials, you want people to feel something or you have an idea in mind. So in graphic design, it's the same, but we have more parameters to take um to, to keep in mind because there is the feeling, there is the words, there is the image, there is the channel. So it, it, it's a lot. And your question is really, really interesting because graphic design study, it's only about graphic design, at least at this level in France. And all the things I've learned about the art of communication, I've did it after graduating because I realized that um, as a graphic designer, I was asked to build uh, campaigns, things like that. For And I, I realized that I hadn't all the skills for this because, yeah, I can do, I, I was able to do a great image, a great things, and it was perfect. But I hadn't at this time the, the idea behind what I want people to feel, how they will use this, and what's the relation with the brand. Is the document I provide, I will provide to um, to the people, will be really enough accurate for the goal they are they they want to achieve. And this, the communication part, is more related to marketing. You know. And marketing is a it's the S word in France, <laughs> but we need it. Uh, the 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 television ads made a lot of pain to to marketing, but today we need to, and I believe that we need to understand how people hear messages, how people react to messages in order to address them the best way they can understand. And this is this is the way I I took the marketing thing in my in my in my work now. So you basically start thinking how people will think about your message, how they will react to it. Um how I want because I can control. Yeah, how you <laughs> would is... like how you would like them to react to it. Yeah. And this leads you to learn a lot of things about bias and things like that and the theory of colors and the the buying, um, how the people buy things, how they react on their um, customer journey. So it seems to be complicated, but see, at... When you have all this in mind, when a client comes to you, it's more easy to ask him the right questions. Why? Because when people come to me and say, oh, I need a logo or I need this, the first question is why? Why do you feel that you need this? And why do you feel this is the answer to the real why? So this is something I wasn't able to ask to a client four years ago. So... I believe this is an important part of the graphic design work. And how did you educate yourself in this uh, field? How did you um, 
because you said your school and your education was purely about design. Where did you learn the skills about this uh, marketing and selling? Um, I had to say first that my former employer, my N plus one, we, we can say it in English. <laughs> She was directly... Uh, what, does it mean? what does it mean, N plus one? Oh, in France, it's a uh, number... The, the people just above your head. It's num oh, your superior. number. Yeah. Okay. We say N plus one. And oh, if, that's if very mathematical. People, <laughs> people above your, your, your chief, it's N plus two. So. Oh, okay. so you're direct superior. Direct superior is in English. Okay. So my, my direct superior was a pure project of marketing. And I admire her skills to simplify things, simplify the message. So... I remember that she told me about a man which name was uh, Simon Sinek. I don't know if you have ever yeah. heard of him. And when I started my graphic design um, agency, I remember this. Oh, let's see about this guy. What did he say about what what did he say about marketing and things like that? And I just started by reading and reading more and reading again and applying and I realized that it wasn't enough. So I needed to op op open my, my mind. So I joined two international communities, one of um, creative based in LA, the future. I think you might have joined this once. I don't know where you are now. But <laughs> no, no, no. I haven't joined them ever, but I know Chris, Chris Do, and then I have interviewed um, other people that have joined the group uh, for, for a period of time. But uh, yeah, they have a lot of valuable content also online, and I sometimes listen to that content too. So the, the idea for me is I have to learn a lot of things. I can go back to, to school or to study every night for a, a diploma because I don't need a certification. I need skills and I need to apply skills. So I slowly built my daily routine of learning things and applying things. So um, in one and a half year, I learned a huge amount of things around marketing and and sales i have to learn sales too because if i in my opinion if i wanted to help my clients to get to him to his goal it was important for me to identify if the solution he asked me what the right one on it so my uh, the 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 view I have on on my on my work is really personal. Maybe a lot of graphic designer never want to learn marketing and believe that they don't need it. And and fine, uh, they will do a great job. It, it's just for me from um, my path and, and my life. I believe that this is the kind of thing I want to offer to people. The kind of clarity I want to offer through. Or collaboration yeah that sounds fair like to deliver what you're promising it and um, you mentioned your agency uh, how long time ago at what point you decide okay now it's time for me to go solo to start my own agency which uh, it's called uh, I don't know how to pronounce this in I think it's Ashaya design yeah 
Great. Oh, my French is <laughs> getting so good. <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting better and better every day. <laughs> uh, so what is it about your, your agency? How did you decide you wanted to start it? Was it connecting with you moving back to the southeast of France? Uh, yeah, I'm very curious because I think a lot of people, they dream about starting their own business in some form. Um, it at the at this moment, um, I've passed mainly five years in in this uh, real estate company, and I realized that there were no future for me to evolve in this. First thing, and the second thing is I realized that I have a lot of creativity to give. And I love to experience a lot of things and maybe working for some people directly that are telling me how to do things and when to do things. Maybe it wasn't the right equation for me. So the idea of leaving the company was um, persistent in my mind the last year. And the last year was... This last year was also the years of, of the COVID and I started to work home for because I was part of the people who still work at home. <laughs> you know, some people didn't have <laughs> any work, but it, it was, I, I had a, a day-to-day work, but at home and I felt really comfortable. And at this time, I had almost three hours a day of um transport from home to work and work to home and three hours a day is a lot and it can be exhausting so i realized that oh i could work from home and everything works so <laughs> maybe there is something to do there so when the covid arrives and the company let me work at home i slowly put this idea in my mind that maybe Starting my company could be the answer to all these things. So I left the company and I moved to France, south of France, because this was more personal part, but I'm really, really fond of nature and rock climbing and running and trail and things like that. So being, being outside every night and every week was something that interrogated me. Maybe we should find another place more suitable with our new way of life. So it was, um, at the end, it was really easy for me because when I accepted the fact that I don't want to work for people inside a company, I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to stay in Paris anymore. And I validate the fact that I can perfectly work from home because not everyone can work from home. It, it can be difficult for some people. So it was so easy. Go. <laughs> the, 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 but the, the, the most difficult part for a lot of people is just to, to launch the go and, and to accept the fact that this is a jump in, in nowhere because you don't know if everything will work and how will do, you will do all the things, but you have to start at the point. Yeah, of course. But also uh, the thing is that you have to have a plan, right? So because you can uh, jump from one build building to the other. But if you miss the rooftop of the next building, you can hurt yourself. 
Um, so um, did you have at least some people that could have hired you as a freelance in the beginning? And did you have some, you know, the run, the, the runway, as they call it, like a few uh, months or a year saving so that even if you don't get any work, you can still survive? What if you can share some you, it, again? This is an open question, so you can share as much as you want. I don't want to ask you to no, things no, that are there, too there private. Is, there is no problem about this. Uh, I lived the company with money, so I had um, almost one year and a half in front of me, so it was comfortable. Uh, I assure you, and I'm really, really aware. And this was a chance. Um, this is the first thing. The second thing that helped me a lot is to build a business plan, something that a lot of creative people don't know <laughs> yet because it's really difficult to put all your ideas in papers and in numbers and to... in It helped me to validate the fact that at least in the paper... I can run a company and I won't have to close the door one year after starting this. So this was the the important start not to miss. And then I slowly started to work uh, in the beginning with my former um, employers, but I really, really quickly realized that the money they wanted to give me as a freelancer wasn't the money I want and I, I I can't say deserve because it's really personal, but I wanted to charge more. So I had quickly to find new clients so I couldn't depend on the, on the former uh, referral. So it started hard. <laughs> it started hard, but um, this, this was really, the best moment to learn it's at the beginning because if you are running great for three or four years and then you have no clients and you have no idea how to find new ones, it could be really difficult. So here I had some clients enough um, to, to, to pay me and to pay my bills. So for the beginning, it was, it was good. And I, I'm not counting the fact that I had, um, I had, how do you say, uh, spare, spare money, you know, um, savings. money for the savings. saving, sorry. Um, so I didn't need to use my saving because my, my company was okay since the, the first year, but it asked me a lot of, um, consistency and energy and focus for focus is really, really difficult because you have a lot of things to do. You don't know where to start, what is important. So there were two or three months I didn't work a lot. I was just deep on how I can build my website, what kind of clients I have to reach, how I can to reach. Oh, I have to make um, build case studies in order to make them to know what I can do. So this 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 beginning was... Not so easy. <laughs> no, I can imagine that, of course. Uh, and uh, what was in your business plan? I'm really curious. Like, if you can share an overview of what people write in a business plan. Um, there is a lot of um, pre, pre-made models that you can find, but it can be intimidating because a business plan is more 
text and and numbers there is no 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 graphics or thing like that so you have to explain who you are what kind of study you you made why you believe what is your project i want to build a company with just myself and i don't want to hire people for the first year um and then you have to explain what kind of ideal clients you want to reach how many they could pay you how how many projects you could do um where do you want to work if you want to work on your on the office that you will rent or will you work at home do you want to partnership with people um have you think about the the low side of the project uh will i have to um what at what kind of topics i will have to be uh careful with you know because um there is a lot of um oh sorry i have missed the name um when you use typography you have to pay to use it in different cases so you have to explain that you can master it and what you want to do for whom and how you so it's really really um deep documents but it's really hard to produce for the people who are not really comfortable with the administration part but it's really really important because it helps a lot to put the idea of the head and see if clearly it's um, too far from the reality or yes it can work and you can go and this is with this kind of documents you can raise money uh, ask for um, for money for the banks or things like that if you want to buy a uh, new computer so this is um main documents i think every people who want to launch a company should do even if you don't have a lot of clients or projects so basically it's uh explains what you what service you want to offer and how you can offer it so it's kind of summarize a uh sort of a pro forecast of uh how much money you want to make and how much money you need to spend to make them and how much money eventually will stay in in the end yeah and also how do you want to reach these people do you want to reach them by emails will you do um it 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 ha it forces you to think about uh, i i'm going to talk the the marketing but you know the the funnel the the, yeah, the yeah, customer yeah. journey from how do you how do you attract your your client and what which step they will follow until you will sign with them and do the job so this is really really big thing and i don't know if you have this in in germany so, such kind of the things oh, of course uh, people have i mean i've heard about business plans but i'm not in a position that i do it uh i've heard about it maybe on the the future youtube channel or just by reading books that i like to read but um it was curious to hear what from you that you have done it in first in first place and uh, maybe it's more 
useful for me and for the people who is gonna who are listening or gonna listen to this. Uh, it's interesting, but yeah, I think it's you gave a great idea about it. But what was uh, what what your what your uh, what is the service, the main service that your agency offers? Today, mainly um, brand branding for buildings, um, pitch pitch uh, pitch deck for presenting a building, presenting a new offer. Um, this is the main thing I'm doing now. But what about it? The whole also, for example, do you do the 3D visualizations of a building, or you just put it together when your clients provide you with their materials? No, I could do, but this is a special job, and you know the the difficulty for for the graphic designer. You can do a lot of things, so you have to. For me, I have to choose, and my philosophy is just to pick some things and to to master it at the top and being called for this. Uh, so for the 3D things, I, I partnership with some people. And this is better this way. And they master their work perfectly and they are doing this every day, <laughs> seven hours a day. So I, I can trust on them and my clients too. So I suggest you to listen to all the ArcVis episodes of the Creative Insider so that you can find a lot of people to partner with. Among others, uh, my friend Simon, who is the founder of Horoma Studio. He's also a French guy, <laughs> good friend of mine. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's it's cool what you do. And how is the market? Is, it, is, is there, uh, like, now that you're a little bit in the business, have you managed to find, uh, have you managed to cover the expectations of your business plan? Um, not for the first year. It was... More, most difficult for me because what I didn't understood in the beginning that I had to make connection and, and keep my networking growing and I didn't do anything of this until this year. So <laughs> I'm really, really late on the subject and I should have remembered that the people in real estate work a lot with referrals and networking. They are not they have not really big problem to reach people or to find clients. So I should have remembered that. So <laughs> it was really difficult uh, because I had great um, expectations for the first year. So I have to lower down because now I understood that running a company is not so easy and I've not chosen the the easiest structure in, of company in France, you know, a lot of people are starting as freelancers, have small taxes, and so it's it's more easy for them to make money if, and even if they don't have big projects, they have a little of taxes, so it's okay for them, but I choose the, the biggest size um, for different reasons, but one of them was I wanted to invest in computers, in materials, so I I had to start with it. And taxes are more important, so even if I did a great amount of uh, profit for um, a freelancer, it's not enough for a company like mine. So. Um, I hope this year, this end of the year will be better 
But at least the great point is with the same amount of projects, I have at least double my prices. So I don't need to make a lot of projects to, to have the same amount from the last year. So I think it's a good indicator from the, the health of the company. <laughs> And does help a lot that you live in um, the Provence and not in France, in uh, Paris, Paris, where probably also your expenses were higher. Not at all, because I've <laughs> I've chosen some weird situation because, and that is where the the architectural core is joining my day to day life because I'm living in a in a ski resort. So you don't have a lot of lands available to build things. And the attractivity of the ski is making the, um, the rent really, really high. And there is a lot of rich people who are actually buying a lot of lands and a lot of buildings. So the, the locals are really struggling to buy their house or to buy a land. And we are reaching some, we are not at the prices of Paris, but we are not so far. So it's not the best way, the, the best land if you to stay, if you want to buy your, <laughs> your home or you buy your space or develop something. But maybe it's good because your clients will be coming directly to your <laughs> ski resort <laughs> developers <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Um, maybe, maybe I, 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 I cross them in a, in, on skiing. <laughs> where, 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 did, uh, where did you say southeast or southwest of France? I forgot. Southeast. I'm, I'm on the mountains really next to the Italy. Oh, I, I am next to the, <laughs> next to the Italian border. Yeah, so, two hours from Turin. If you if you you know, of course, of course. I, I grew. I have an Italian passport. I grew up in Italy, so I know that now. The I saw a couple of years ago a documentary that the refugee the refugees try to go through the border. Totally. <laughs> so you're this, somewhere, this is, somewhere yes, there. Yes, this is this is the perfect the the the, the perfect uh, land for this. Uh, actually. The 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 border is is thirty minutes from here. I live in Briançon. Maybe I don't ah, yeah, not yeah, sure yeah. you know the name. Yeah, I, I've heard that it's a very famous town in Italy because uh, of the immigration issues that are uh, there. But um, beside that, that it's not part of the conversation. We could open a completely different uh, subject for hours, which is not our field of expertise. Uh, I wanted to ask you now that you're there, how does your daily life look like? Because as you said, working in an office in Paris, it's a completely different experience than working for yourself in Briançon. Uh, so do you work at home? How is How do you keep yourself disciplined to dress up in the morning and not stay in pajamas and stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I first um, maybe I I can make it like a kind of the good step I, I the, the the good habits I kept. Um, first, I I work from home. Walk but... us through the morning uh, to the evening, like you wake up. <laughs> so this 
I, I will talk about now because it's changed. Uh, last year, I wake, I woke up very, very late and maybe at 10, 10 o'clock and I worked until midnight or two or three o'clock. So I did it for a while, for at least a year, but I realized that on long-term run, that can't work because most of the clients needs you during the day and the early day, uh, at least in real estate, the, the day is just starting. So they have open-minded and you can reach them more easily. So not being up at, at least nine, it, it wasn't really good for me. And also, even if I didn't believe it in the beginning, but um, working night, I really love it, but you don't have the focus and the energy that you have when you just woke up. So today um, I'm up at 7 a.m. <laughs> it's really better. <laughs> and the second thing uh, I've changed is keeping time for me. Um, um, when I wake up, you know, doing yoga or sports because it's so easy to get trapped on work because your office is just next door. So starting with some time for you, it's the you the insurance that whatever uh, occurs in your day, you will have this time for you. So you will be able to just clear your mind, take care of yourself. And when you are a freelancer, it's, it's one of the big mistakes we all do, you know, um, overthinking, overworking too much, don't taking time for you, for social, for friends. And sometimes you enter a dark tunnel and you are just so in in the fact that you need to do the work, you need to do the work, there is a lot of work to do. And the danger is to wake up in the morning, you are so tired and you don't want to go to work and you don't know why. It's just because you didn't rest for the past three or four months. So... This is the the main thing to remember for me because we are doing the long-term run, the long-term game. So important to take care of yourself. And then the thing I didn't do last year and I do every day is to reach out potential clients and people on LinkedIn mainly because it is my main follower. And this is really important to keep the connection with people and to know where they are, what they are doing, what is their um, actuality, what do they need, can we help them. So it's the nurturing part in the marketing, blah, blah. <laughs> so especially when you are working from your home because you don't have a lot of connection with people socially as a human being, this is really important. And if you want to work on your own as an architect or the graphic designer or any other fields, this is uh, what I would recommend. Always connect to people every day. And, and that's it. And then I do my post. And after that, I do my things like you know administration call back to client oh we need a um, we send you a code did you did you study the code are you okay could we meet you know all the things that doesn't make the money but you have to do this if you want to have some projects so 
this is the administration part, the account end. And after that, I do this in the morning now because if I do it in the end of the day, I won't have the energy. So, And this is something important, but something I really don't like. So doing it in the... <laughs> get rid of it at the beginning of the, uh, of the day. This is the, the best decision I've made <laughs> about this. How much of your day it's more or less stuff that you really don't like to do and some and how much of it is stuff that you like to do? Oh, it's just one hour for for the things I don't like, so I think it's bearable. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. No, it's uh, great and um last but not least, I'm really curious because I was part of it. You've recently started uh this podcast that I don't know if it has a name already or uh, this is what one is, of <laughs> what is the what is the idea behind where in your business plan or in your strategy it's the podcast fitting. So this whole thing came from um, uh, an observation. Um, some of the people I know, uh, I, I have still connection in architecture, and they have um, really. Um, strength strength and direct vision of um of what is architecture and what is marketing and communication and how things how the things need to be done and i was really interesting to open um a channel of communication in order to meet other people and to understand how do you do architecture in other countries? And from the the story I, I lived um, when I was young architect, and and I believe that maybe it could be interesting for new the new generation to have all the information I would like to find when I started and I didn't. So the idea was to to start interviewing people um, from the architecture field. It was important for me that they came from different countries to give them a, a, a big oversight because the French way is not the only way, it's not the best way, it's not the worst way, but it's important to make them uh, realize what is to be uh, in active life. And so this is why I reach you. Um, and it was really interesting for me and the idea is to make a lot of podcasts on this for the beginning so yes the podcast has not is not released yet because i need i still need a name i have a brand now but i still need a name and built a website page to help them people to find it really easily so the long term run now is to build a community and to give all the all the information, the insight, and the the skills and the knowledge I've gathered from the architecture side and the graphic design side, and give them um, in order to help them to build um, the professional life or the company they want. And I hope it will help people. <laughs> And no. if he can help just one person, it would be okay. Yeah, I think it's a cool format because I participated myself and it was very interesting to 
to hear your questions and I guess that you can, uh, as I said, again, scroll through the past guests on, on the Creative Insider and you can, because uh, you can find other guests because once they've talked to me, you can ask them different questions and every person is different. So you'll have a different view. And uh, I think this is also something that I wanted to contribute is to create this um, network of uh, podcasts related to design and architecture because I got inspired by the stand-up comedians because they did the same thing. They did every stand-up comedian has a, a podcast and they go to each other's podcasts and they have built this sort of network that's pushing forward their whole industry. And I hope that more people will start doing uh, something like you. And it doesn't matter that you don't have a name yet because uh, no pressure. You have <laughs> a lot of things on your plate. Uh, people should stay tuned into your social media channels and um, and follow up with uh, the episodes as soon as they release. Uh, Nat um, Natalie, we, we always end up the conversation with something inspiring. We want to create this, I call it the inspiring uh toolkit the everybody shares what ins what inspires them because as creatives sometimes we have you know low batteries or maybe we have more than one hour of things that we really want don't want to do so we need to recharge our creative spirit uh what are the activities that you like do i mean you shared some uh as your morning routine but if there are some favorite sports places that you like to travel books music events you don't have to mention all of those, but if you can mention something that for you on the top of your mind, it's inspiring. I, I will just skip two things. The first thing is interconnection with the nature because it's really resourcing. It's really powerful. And just in an instant, you can just open your mind and just let all the things inside go out. And the second one is I prepared a book because I've seen that sometimes you ask people if you have a book to recommend or a good thing. So this is my favorite book. It's an old one. It's made from Seth Godin. He is the master of marketing for me. And this is the only book who doesn't talk about marketing. So this is really powerful because it's all about how to take actions. So, yeah, I have the idea, oh, I don't like my job, oh, I would like to go to sport, oh, I would like to wake up at 7 or 6 or 5. And a lot of the time, you don't you don't go. You, you just think about things, but you don't go and you say, oh, he can do it, but I can't, or I will not be enough to do this, or I won't be able to do this. And hold this book is just... You know, it's just small stories, one page, one, one story. And this is the most motivational book I've ever read. So if you can have this or read this, I would highly recommend this. And every time you have a flat moment or low, low energy, it helps a lot for me. Oh, just go. At a time, just stop overthinking and just do the things and see what happens and then you will be able to do your French people. Oh, it doesn't work. I don't like it. <laughs> so for the people who might just listening, not watching the video, the book is called What to Do When It's Your Turn by Seth Godin. Uh, we're not sponsored, unfortunately, but <laughs> this is the book. <laughs> uh, th this is an old book, you know. Uh, uh, I hope you will be able to find it, but 
there is this is golden i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure on amazon or somewhere online people will be able to find it and i think that if a book is so old that you cannot buy it you'll find it as a pdf for sure so i i think it's a it's a great input i've never heard about this book before so i'll check it myself and um natalie thank you very much for your time uh before we end up this conversation people stay tuned with natalie social media uh, and natalie agency if you need to promote your real estate or create a campaign and communication so natalie where can people find you okay you can f- find me first on linkedin name and um, first name and last name natalie cara so or you can ask to georgie where i can find this person <laughs> but you will find the link on his page and you can also find me on instagram at natalie and the architects and you can also find me on my website but it's more um, corporate website so i'm not sure you're the target but if you want to see how i speak uh, with my clients you can find me in www.ashayadesign.com and if you can't write it just ask <laughs> all the links will be below in the description natalie thank you very much all the best for your agency for your podcast And I say this is your first time on the Creative Insider. It doesn't have to be the last one. So in the future, when there are news, you're always welcome back. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.